Welcome to Smart Creation, the podcast, an invitation to explore the potential of sustainable fashion. Every other Wednesday, Adrian, your host, talks to key players in the fashion industry to discover new products and understand the challenges behind offering more responsible fashion and learn the solution available today. This podcast is brought to you by Première Vision, the leading event organizer for fashion professionals. To find out more, go to www.premiervision.com. Discover and enjoy. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to Smart Creation, the podcast. Today, I am very pleased to welcome Matteo Ward. He is the co-founder and CEO of Rad. Uh, hello, Matteo. Hi, how's it going? Very good, and you? I'm great, thank you. Thanks for the invitation. Hi, everybody. My pleasure. Um, my very first question is, could you please introduce yourself and come back on your pathway? What, uh, what, what you do? What do you introduce yourself? Absolutely. Um, well, my name is Matteo. I'm half Italian, half American. My dad is from Seattle, Washington, and my mom is from Vicenza, which is a city near Venice where I'm currently based. And um, let me start by saying that I really did not work in the fashion industry, <laughs> but I somehow ended up doing it anyway. Um, and, and, and the path that led me to it is kind of, it's kind of interesting, you know, when those things happen in life and just by chance you end up doing something and you're like, maybe is this my path? Is it not? I really wanted to be a politician. I really wanted to work in politics. Okay. And I had planned my entire life to do that, you know, uh, economics. And then I wanted to do law school and international relations, you know. And um, one day I was walking, literally walking in the street in Milan where I, gra I graduated college. And uh, I was stopped and recruited by a person who happened to work for one of the uh, most successful um, fashion retailer brand uh, back then it was 2008 and they asked me if I wanted to join their expansion team in Europe and I said no maybe who knows I went to the interview and they offered me a job right away and uh, I was like why and I was like well because we're expanding quickly and you should take the train I'm like the train is like well it's a plane they sent me on a plane to London after four days and with this contract and I was, I was, I didn't even know what I was doing, but I was like, okay, maybe let, let me give myself, you know, the chance to, to work for a couple of years and then go back to, to my law school path. And that couple of years ended up being seven years of career with this company. And it was a career that opened my eyes to the enormous social and environmental injustice behind the fashion industry. And that's when things started to get serious for me because I found a way also to bring in my uh, political DNA into my job and, and, and literally uh, mm. try to work to revolutionize what I was doing. Mm -hmm. But what have you seen? What, what was um, the issue according to you? What's, uh, what was annoying for you? The first thing, um, it was 2010, 2011, um, was social social issues um our entire marketing campaign was based on being exclusive and elitist and not very inclusive to other people and and that was really bothering somehow because i felt this discrepancy between the beauty of what we internally had built in terms of creating an inclusive environment and how instead elitist and exclusive and discriminatory were towards the outside and i wasn't able to come to terms with this really dichotomy 
Then, this was 2010, 2011, 2013 arrived and Rana Plaza in Bangladesh collapses, killing 1,138 people, 2,500 people injured. My dad happened to be in Dhaka, Bangladesh when that happened. My first instinct reaction was, dad, are you okay? Because he was working in the textile industry and I decided, yes, I wasn't there when that happened. And after that selfish comment, I was like, what the hell have we done? Like, how do we end up putting the life of people that create our clothing behind, you know, the necessity to reduce our, our, our production costs in order to improve financial marginality? How do we kill 1,138 people? And I was speaking in a global terms, like the entire industry was complicit in that. And that, uh, of course, opened the Pandora vase because once you started asking yourself that question, I started to understand more about the product that we're actually selling. Uh, funny enough, I'd been working for seven years in the industry and nobody ever, nobody ever challenged me to know more about the product, where it came from, how, you know, who made our clothes. All these things were new. Hmm preposterous right um but if you don't work in production and if you work in marketing sales retail advertising nobody nobody knows hmm. and 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 that uh scared can i say it scared the shit out of me kind of you of course up in the mirror and you're like oh my gosh i am the exact opposite of who i wanted to be in my life i was happy with my career but i wasn't hmm. with the person i was becoming and um that's when i decided to quit and, and challenge myself and do something else Okay. Can we tell the brand? I, I, I think you didn't tell the brand. This is Abercrombie and Fitch. Abercrombie and Fitch. Yeah. All right. And so you decided to quit. Um, this is quite uh, uh, courageous. Uh, what did you do? Yeah. What did you decide to do? What did you decide to, what did you decide to join? I mean, what was, what has been this, um, Eureka moment? Do you remember when you decided, okay, this is enough. Um, just, I quit. Uh, let, let's jump into something more, um, more yeah. myself. Yeah. Um, it wasn't because it was so t tough. Um, I'm going to put it in perspective. I was 27. Um, I had a career, a safe job, a great salary. Um, I was be getting promoted every year. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm going to leave all of this to do what? Who knows? Like, I didn't have a plan B. So it wasn't, I knew I want, I knew I had to do something more. And um, having exhausted all venues within the company to try to change it from within it was also a weird time for the company because our ceo was you know bombarded in every single newspaper around the world for its discriminatory allegations against mm. people that were not the anf look and i you know i was conflicted because i really loved the people i was working with i loved my job and at the same time it was like we are sending the wrong message to everybody mm. the moment came i'll never forget it And I've never seen this person afterwards, but a customer, I was walking through one of our flagship stores in Munich, Germany, and this random customer approaches one of our in-store models. They're called brand representatives now, but they were called models back then. <laughs> and he asks a question, why does this t-shirt cost like this one? But this one is made in South America. This one is made in, in uh, Southeast Asia. And this one has polyester, this has cotton. 
so many details about the product and obviously nobody was trained for to answer such questions. So they saw me and I was the senior manager back then. So they were just like, let me just, you know, take advantage. They're like, for surely Mateo knows. And they're like, Mateo, since you're here, can you answer this question? And I was like, no, <laughs> absolutely not. But let me find out. It took me six, six weeks, six weeks to, to get back to our merch teams in Ohio and from our teams in Ohio to try to figure out how to get to our su supply chain and, and sourcing managers in Southeast Asia and, and get an answer that was not even the answer. It was just like, this is the way it is and blah, 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 blah. And I realized that we had zero control over our supply chains. And I was like, okay, I can't do this. At this point, it's enough is enough. More, more on top of that, we had simultaneously started to have issues with our denim. A lot of our... Um, associates in Germany had presented doctor's note because all of a sudden our, gen our genes started leaking blue into their legs and they had a rash, an allergic reaction to it. And I was like, what the hell is in our genes? At, the, at, at first, I'm not going to lie, I blamed it on hypersensitivity of our associates. And then, you know, typical American corporate culture is like, well, there's no way. They're just too, 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 too weak, too sensitive. I was so stupid. <laughs> and then I realized, no, there's a, there's a true, there's a real cost that there's an issue because, because denim happens to be, could be potentially one of the most dangerous items we have in our wardrobe. There's many mm -hmm. ways to look at it. And that's when I opened my eyes to impact social and environmental impact in genes. And that was it. I was like, okay, I need to go. I need to go. May, 2015, the true cost of fashion came out. Mm. I was certain after that i was no longer uncertain and by july i was out the door traveling around the world trying to figure out what i wanted to mm -hmm. do with so do you remember the the commitments you you made to yourself um yes <laughs> it's funny this is a great question it's it was not to take decisions based on fear that was the only commitment i had made to myself about that point because for my entire life, I wasn't taking decisions that were clearly in line with what, what I wanted to become in my life out of fear, out of fear of not getting a job. Uh, I accepted that position and I was happy I did. Otherwise, I would have never, you know, uh, started doing what I was doing now out of fear of not having a plan B in 2013, when I first felt the impulse to leave, I didn't leave. It took me two years to actually quit the company. Out of fear, after I told my boss that I was going to leave in February of 2015, I was still undecided and I took a little bit of months kind of like to figure out whether that was really the decision I wanted to take because I was like scared to mm. death. I can and imagine. Then I was realized, what do you have to lose? I mean, you can only gain out of this, right? Mm, mm. Scary? Yes. Impossible? No. And that was when I started. All right. And what did you start? I started doing everything I could to get the truth out, knowledge, awareness, or spread awareness about the true cost of the industry. That movie really struck a chord with me. Mm. And I... Um, I I, I knew I, I, I had more access to a lot of information about how textile and denim and fashion and pret-a-porter really worked because of, my, because of family reason, because of my job. So I started to talk to people about it and uh, to see if people were interested and or they had any clue. And, and 
and luckily, you know, um, they were interested and not so luckily they didn't have a clue as everybody else. So <laughs> I started to work on building awareness with an mm-hmm. educational program in the world. And as I was building awareness for myself and others, I also uh, continued to study. So I volunteered and I did a lot of uh, activation and volunteering projects around the world to really understand what's the what's the truth behind the big word sustainable fashion. Does it mean anything? What does it mean? Nothing mm-hmm. if you don't break it down into its, you know, key environmental indicators such as what's the relationship between fashion and water, fashion mm-hmm. and chemicals, fashion and fossil fuel industry, fashion and waste, fashion and people, social dimensions, fashion and biodiversity. Break it down, make you know, simplify the message and give it back to people. We create mm-hmm. a raw education. It, we all started as a nonprofit, literally as it is, as a nonprofit educational platforms with an event in Barcelona at the beach, where in 48 hours, I convinced a hundred people to come and play beach volleyball with us, where we would talk about the impact of fashion in our oceans and try to raise money for the Surfrider Foundation, which was based in Garretz in France. That's how it started. Um, I wasn't working for the Surfrider Foundation, but they emailed them about this initiative. And after that, they invited us for a couple of weeks in Garretz which I love, by the way, awesome, awesome place. Mm. <laughs> and I spent some time there um, under, with them to explain everything about water pollution. And I was trying to link their research to what I knew about the fashion industry. And that led to the problems of microplastics and plastics. So after that, I went to the Netherlands and I spent three weeks volunteering at this uh, plastic recycling plant in Amsterdam. And um, long story short, that's all I kept doing, study, building a team, building a community and giving back, giving back in terms of awareness. Um, from random events around the world, we started to structure this. Once I came back to Italy, after I finished, you know, I exhausted my financial funds. I had zero money to travel. <laughs> I had to come back home, go back to my family. It was like, give me a room for a couple months. I'll prove it. I'll prove we can do something with it. And we started working in schools and that was so much fun. And it still is. Um, we started with a classroom of 60 people. Now we reach just today. My team is coming back. We'll reach 500 to 700 people a month. Um, and we have workshops distributed in 92 countries worldwide and it's all pro bono. And that's what uh, we're very passionate about. So that was the first thing we did. After that, there were some evolutions because um, clearly just working pro bono for forever was not an option. <laughs> So of yeah, the, the first couple of questions that we always got in schools were the inspiration for the next step, because everybody was like, so where can we go? What's innovative out there? You're telling us that, you know, these, these fabrics, these materials don't really work. Are there alternatives? And, um, so I started to understand more about supply chain and some of the local issues we have problems, one specific I'm kind of in the den. You have to know right now, Vicenza is in the middle of what it's called uh, one of you know the denim district of Italy. This is where all denim is being produced, and not only yeah. denim but also leather. Um, it's a huge, huge manufacturing hub for the world of fashion. And we have a big problem here with chemicals, chemicals that since the late '60s have been dumped illegally in our water streams. Not just fashion industry, but also agro, agrochemicals as well. But one type of chemical in particular, uh, PFAS, um, these substances, which are biopersistent, are used to make fabrics hydro-repellent. 
Therefore, once I knew, I found out about this, I started to explore more the, um, the issues related with chemical management and, and all of the substances that are used to finish and dye fabrics. And that led to the creation of Rod Innovation. So we founded our own innovative startup dedicated to challenging the status quo of chemical management in the industry. And we developed a new patented technology to mineral dye fabrics and a cotton canvas, therefore jeans, only using recycled graphite, which is non-toxic. It's a byproduct of another industry. It, ha- it bears cultural value because it's something that in ancient Roman times, people used to do as well 2000 years ago. And I don't even know, like, honestly, looking back, I was like, how do we do it? Like, I'm not, <laughs> I wanted to be a politician. And all of a sudden I was working in labs all around Italy to figure out new dyeing techniques for fabrics. And, but it, it worked, it happened. And, and that's how Rod started, to be quite honest, at that point. After two years of R&D and two years of pro bono hard work in schools, we launched our first product on the market in 2017, which was a total failure, by the way. <laughs> Why? How come? Because I was so naive. Uh, and um, I, I am happy I was, to be quite honest. Everybody told me, you can't launch a fashion product on the market with less than X amount of capital. And I was like, no, we can do it. We can totally do it. And of course, they were right. I was wrong. Uh, but it, all, it was a great school, a great entrepreneurial school. Like <laughs> the first couple of years of financial disasters, I was like, how do we? How are we going to get out of this? But I guess in challenging times, you find your ways. And now we know better. <laughs> and we started Consult. We help a lot of startups. And every time they ask me, how do you know all of this? It's like, because I failed multiple times. So let me mm. help you out. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, so your activity right now is about education, innovation, and design. So you are doing a research and development for, for brands, for companies, for manufacturers, right? And That's consultancy. Correct. That's correct. And for, for consultancy for, for brands or for manufacturer, both? Both, both, okay. both. Um, and it was all an evolution, as I said, of these mistakes because we really, and still today, I have very clear the reason why I'm doing all of this. Yeah. But just day one, we didn't really know what to do uh, in order to get there. <laughs> so education was the most natural thing. Innovation kind of came because what people were asking about new innovative techniques and we had a problem, a local problem here in Italy. Design came as a natural evolution of all of these things because we had a technology, we had a community, we had the design. We were, we're all very creative. So we're like, okay, as a team, let's build our first T-shirt and, and then the denim jacket and let's see how... We can put these on the market and and sell them on e-commerce. And um, we failed. So we had to find a way to survive. And we activated collaboration with big brands in order to do that. Uh, was the first one. Starbucks was the second one. Salvatore Ferragamo was the third one. They were really interested in the technology. The times are starting to change. This was mm. in 2018. In 2015, nobody believed in what we were doing. Nobody wanted to talk about sustainable fashion other than NGOs. 2018, 2019 were the first years when big corporations, big brands started to shift. Um, whether was it for pure greenwashing purposes or not, um, we, I mean, I know who did it with the right intentions of who did it, but mm. we were kind of like the, the, the we, 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 we will probably challenge their own culture and mentality if we bring yeah. in a new way of seeing things. And working with Ukes and working with Starbucks specifically, 
enlightened us to a new pathway to doing business, which was consultancy on art direction and how to better communicate sustainability. Brands had yeah, back then. They're like, okay, we did this. We don't really know why. Can you help us communicate it to the market? And I was like, of course, that's my job. And I did it for free at the beginning. And then I was like, no, maybe I am giving a service. Mm. And, 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 that, and that was the moment when I finally opened my eyes to the business model I wanted Rod to have, which was a business model that didn't necessarily put us in the tough position from a sustainability standpoint to be enslaved by the necessity to produce more and more clothing that nobody really needs and at the same time still produce clothing in a way that can alter and challenge the status quo Mm. Uh, working finding the balance between providing a service and providing a product and 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 therefore shifting in a very uh fluid way between design education and innovation because this is what we started doing with all of our clients um, enabled us to to build a more resilient business business model um, and also prepare us for what happened in 2020 which you know was a challenging year for everybody specifically for those who had a business plan that was purely based on the selling of products Hmm. Uh, what we do when all the retail stores close luckily we had been you know, providing services as well prior to that. And that's what we continue doing through 2020. And um, yeah, I think right now, 2022, this is the first year where, to be honest, I, I, am, I see a lot of balance and more structure in what we were doing because the first five years were pure R&D in terms of business model, materials, <laughs> personal growth, understanding of the word sustainability. As I said, I was lucky because the first investors kind of allowed me, enabled me to make a lot of mistakes and test trial and error. We really did it all, Adrian. We went, we did, we opened public stores in Berlin. We collaborated with high brands. We started providing corporate trainings and education from like top schools all the way to high schools, all the way to classrooms in Switzerland for swatch makers. Um, we work with fashion revolution. So we were active in the Senate as well as in the streets, activating people, um, you name it, you name it. <laughs> I think we kind of did it all hmm. and, and it was time consuming, inefficient, uneconomical from any standpoint, any entrepreneur that will look at this will be like, what the hell is going on here for us? It was necessary to figure out a better understanding of what the role of the fashion industry can be. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Um, the, um, what, what, where are at what stage are we actually? What do you understand of the market right right now? The, the fashion industry. Um, all the consumers are are receiving the the, the I mean are, are are buying or they are. I mean, it's it's a big mess. Like it's it sounds like you know the the luxury market is uh, is booming. The fa- the fast fashion is still uh, making good uh, good money, uh, from what I understand. Um, uh, people are still consuming quite a lot, even yeah. though we are talking about inflation, about uh, crisis, war, etc., etc. Uh, where are we going uh, in terms of f- sustainable fashion? Yeah, it's a, it's a 
in, we're in transition. It's a bit of a mess right now um, because when the, we are in transition, there's uncertainty, and when there's uncertainty, there's there's a lot of forces and a lot of contradictions, and and that you have to solve and you have to manage as you go. Uh, the short answer is sustainable fashion is not something that any brand has grasped as of now out there in the market. Um, the word sustainability means something. What's out there in the market right now, it's something completely different. Uh, it's something that has a lower environmental impact, you know, in relation to certain environmental parameters. So you may have genes that reduce CO2 emissions or water consumption. Does that make them sustainable? Who knows? Not necessarily. It depends on the business model. What are you doing to fight uh, you know, uh, social uh, social poverty. Uh, what are you are you doing to 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 address the fact at the end of the day that everything we're wearing uses resources that are essential to life: water, energy, food, to produce something mm. that is not essential for life: clothing. So okay, so <laughs> how do you get out of that? How do you get out of that? Yeah, exactly. You know, you you. I mean, this would, it, it goes out of the time we have allowed for this podcast. Mm. But if you ask yourself those very, very radical questions, you will um, open yourself up to the considerations of, of other ways, new supply chains, how to better use materials, how to redefine business model in a way to really legitimize the fashion industry to operate in the 21st century, not on a quantitative growth merit, but on a qualitative evolution mm. merit. But how can you how can you change that in the in in the in the um, in the society we are living in, where I mean the the only goal is to is to make money and to to it's to grow and uh, um, I mean. I, I've got another podcast named Entreprendre dans la mode, and and uh, I'm 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 interviewing a lot of uh, French actors in the fashion industry, CEOs, uh, founders, entrepreneurs, etc. And, and everybody is talking about the same thing, you know. How, how do you grow your business? How do you sell more clothes? Uh, and I don't see any any I mean anything uh, going on the other way. By changing exactly what you just said, how do we sell more? Do we need to sell more clothes to grow a business? And are there ways that we haven't explored to keep on generating revenue for the company without creating more clothes mm. by the right combination of material inputs, business model, strategy, mm. Without disregarding the fact, whether well, this is very important because I think it always gets um, somewhat bypassed in the mainstream narrative of sustainable fashion, that's, take cotton, for example. Everybody's talking about transitioning away from cotton because blah, blah, blah. In my opinion, that's BS. We have more than 150 million people that depend on, on you know, the harvesting and, and the cotton industry for survival. The question is not problem shifting and not shifting away from certain materials or dynamics. The problem is how do we create better high quality clothing, not just in terms of durability, and that will open ourselves up to new business revenues, medium business models for the future. And at the same time, quality for the people who make the clothes so that wealth is redistributed along the supply chain and that can actually trigger 
um, the, the necessary funding for ecological transition. I know these are big concepts and I'm not digging in specifically in each and every one of them, <laughs> but these are, and I don't, honestly, I, some of the answers we think we have, the big answers we don't have, we're still testing and trial. And a lot of the consultancy we do with our clients go along these directions. With one luxury company that I cannot name right now, we're working on fluid supply chains, for example, always adapting uh, and being able to work within constraints that are bigger than the fashion industry, uh, constraints that have to deal with the fact that our food demand is increasing, that energy demand is increasing, and water demand is increasing. And how do we cope with that? We have almost 10 billion people on this planet that need to survive. Can you tell us what you do exactly with your with your brand, with with Rad? Uh, what kind of uh, clothes do you make? Uh, what make it so sustainable? Uh, well, uh, more, more than sustainable, I think we're not there yet either. Um, it's uh, ecologically responsible, socially just. Uh, I'll give you one example. What's my favorite capsule we ever did? for um, the intensive care unit hospitals in Italy for, uh, for children. We did this capsule for babies that were uh, premature born. And um, if you are a premature born baby, your immune system is very low. So you're very sensitive to infections and 70% of deaths in some public hospitals in Italy in the intensive care units are actually caused by bacterial infection. And that sounded really, really, Uh, stupid to me. I'm like, you go there to be cured, you catch an infection in the hospital and you die because of it? No way. As I was thinking about these things, the doctor showed me what these patients wear and they were like very small uh, onesies made out of polyester. I'm like, are you kidding me? I was like, these actually enhance bacteria proliferation. Um, you can't have that. And I'm like, well, nobody makes them because blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay. We'll make them. So we found, you know, fabric that was innovative, capable of reducing bacterial proliferation by 85% in a natural way. Uh, we found local partners in, in Italy and Japan, brought them together, designed the new onesie and gave it to the hospitals. This is one of the projects, clothing collections that we've done and it's very successful and we're very proud of it. And then we also work with Vogue. So, you know, these, <laughs> we work with hospitals, we work with Vogue. Same, same purpose though. They asked us to make something like a merchandise for a, a company that um, works in the renewable energy sector. I'm like, what, Jack? Like, what are we going to do? We're not going to do merchandise like hoodies that say whatever claim on it. So we decided to create this innovative jacket uh, that is printed with minerals that we recycle actually from the tech industry that are able to absorb light and, and give back light in the darkness. So they serve another purpose. All the riders, food delivery people that find themselves in the bike in streets that are dark, that have no light, automatically they have a jacket that lights up during the day and gives back, gives back light during the night. In Milan, this is very relevant because we have 23,000 people that actually that uh, incur into accidents because of scarce visibility. So these are just two very random examples of some of the mm. problems. Super interesting. Um, what's your vision? What's your vision for Rad? Where do you want to, to bring this, uh, this project? I want to be able to be, to have an impact, the biggest impact that we have challenging the status quo, redefining not as much how clothing is made, but what can the role of clothing be in the 21st century where everybody's thinking about the next technology, 
the best cotton, uh, recycled polyester. And, and I'm like, yeah, interesting. Maybe depends who's thinking about, will these things matter um, in a couple of years, considering where the world is heading in terms of social and environmental crisis or another question, what will the, what uh, a typical question that my team uh, always uh, fears. I asked them, what can a hoodie do? Like in a hundred years from now, what will we need a hoodie to do in order to walk outside and not, you know, be bombarded by what electromagnetic waves, acid rains. I don't know. I'm always push them to think not in a dystopian way, but how the planet is changing and how clothing for the, you know, to be quite honest for the past 2000 years, we didn't really require much more than linen, cotton. Well, cotton is more recent linen, wool, hemp, these silk, these materials served a function. That function is questionable the moment our ecosystem changes. We don't know what the world will look like in 100 years, but if we start thinking about it now, we're going to be prepared to future-proof, not just humans, but non-humans organisms as well, through fashion and really redefine the role of the fashion industry. That's that's my goal today. Mm, mm, mm. And what are your the biggest challenges uh, um, for the in the next uh, in the next years, according to you? Um, scale, urgency, and political activation. A lot of our work is hindered by lack of, of standards and laws and regulations and mm. infrastructures around the world. Actually, you guys in France are awesome because I always call call France out in a positive way. You are at the top, I think, the best country in the world right now in terms of what you're working on a political spectrum. Good or bad, at least something is happening there uh, <laughs> in, in terms of legislation for the sustainability of the fashion industry. Not mm. as much in Italy, not as much as the EU level. Um, I'm really looking forward to the new, uh, for example, circularity guidelines that are coming through. Mm. Um, another thing is really convincing the companies we work with of getting away from what you described earlier, um, mm. getting away from the idea that we have to sell clothing and we have to grow in a quantitative way in order to keep our businesses profitable. Mm. I always work with brands, that, for example, that tell me, oh, I want to be sustainable. And then I'm like, can I see your business model? And then, oh, we want to grow business, you know, tenfolds in 10 years by multiplying the number of lines and products that we make. I'm like, who needs all of this stuff? And how, you know, non, um, in my opinion, long-term thinking is that considering the fact that I, I truly believe that in a matter of five to maximum 10 years, We will have a politician that will step up there and say, hey, you know what, Europe or France or Italy, we have one glass of water and I'm going to prioritize this water for the agriculture, for all of the businesses that serve essential needs because we don't have enough. Fashion industry, figure it out. <laughs> we need to think about these things. Yeah. Do, do you can you can you give us a, a few a few brands name uh, that are going on the right direction except Rad of course. I don't know if we're going in the Rad. We made a lot of mistakes. I don't know if we're going in the best direction. I think we could do better. We don't have uh, a lot of. Uh, let me think. Examples that I can name. I think that it's very interesting what uh, nudie jeans, the business model they've done um, in Northern Europe. Uh, it's 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 going in the right direction in terms of really putting a 
qualitative business model at the core of they do what they do rather than a quantitative business model based on having to create more and more jeans that nobody needs. Mm. Um, I think one brand that has a service that in my opinion is interesting is Accelerato, um, the shoemaker sneakers. They have a resale platform just for their shoes, used shoes that's available on their website. And, and that's another example of, of how you can you know, generate more profit without necessarily having to sell or create more shoes. Um, Candiani Denim, uh, Coreva Design is a great example. They've created this new elastic jeans but the elastomer is uh, 100% natural. It's rubber. Therefore, the jeans is compostable. Uh, but what it's interesting about Coreva, it's that not only it's a revolution in the material making, but the business model itself is designed to actually push you not to compost the gene, but to keep it as long as possible because they've built a repair shop and a custom-made micro factory in Milan. So in Milan right now, in terms of denim, within 100 meters, you have, in my opinion, the most responsible denim district in the world because you can go into the micro factory, create your tailor-made denim, choose the fabric. The fabric scrapes become compost, so they're regenerative. If the denim, after one year, you don't you want to change it or you don't like it, you have the repair shop where you can change it up and do whatever you want. And if you really don't like it, you can exchange it with something else. And if you really break it beyond repairability, you guess what? The material allows it to become new compost. It goes back to earth and it's regenerative. That's a very, 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 the seed of it, but a very, very smart seed of what the fashion industry could look like in the future. Hmm. All right. Thank you so much. Um, let's move to the quick rapid fire question uh, part. Um, I would like to know what do you want to close the door in, uh, in the fashion industry? Why do I want to close the door? I want to stop uh, people not paying living wages to All right. retirement workers. That's a primary cause of, of eco ecological injustice. Mm, 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 mm. Uh, where do you look at to get inspired? I look a lot recently at the, um, the literature that was developed in the 1970s by intellectuals, writers, artists, philosophers, um, that all kind of questioned exactly the things that we're struggling with now. Is there a limit to growth? Um, what's the role of design? What's good design? Um, where, you know, what is this economic system sustainable? If you look at what happened between 1970 and 1975, in terms of like uh, literature and, and science reports and design and philosophical thinking and radical thinking, we have all of the trigger questions that we need to analyze our present. And sometimes the answers. All right. And do, do you, can you advise us any, any book, any Absolutely. writer? My favorites. Uh, Design for the Real World by Viktor Papanek, written in 1972. Another one uh, by Hans Jonas, is a, a German philosopher, um, about the philosophy, ethics, philosophy, responsibility, um, questioning whether our anthropocentric view um, is legitimate in a world where humans have proven capable of destroying the same environment that makes us uh, human, which is the environment and <laughs> our biosphere. And um, I think these two are great. Another one I loved recently oh, is war in terms of fashion is a history book. It's called Worn, People, History Through Clothing. 
fantastic. Oh, written by Tannhauser. I think her name is Sophia, but I don't want to say something that's wrong. So people go on Google and, and double check what I'm saying, please, because I'm not sure. We do, we do. So, All right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, uh, two, two last question. Uh, what is the last piece of clothes you bought? Oh, interesting. Hmm. Tricky. I have a pair of jeans by Coreva Design made with that um, rubber elastomer that I was telling you about. All right. And you, look. Jeans, bottoms, and, and, and overshirt. Loved it. And, and you happy with the quality of this uh, new material from Kaljani? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I have to stop wearing it. Because it's all over, all, too many, too many times I'm going to wear it throughout the day. Love it. Fantastic. And last question: um, with the last, uh, with the personality you would like to listen to in this podcast? Sorry, which personality I would like to to listen to um, in this podcast? Oh, Adrian, go and interview Michelle Obama, and I will be your friend. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll do. What kind of question would you would you ask her? If I can be an intern in her office. <laughs> All right, will do. Thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure to talk to you, learn Thank a lot you. of stuff. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Ciao. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast till the end. If you want to support this initiative, subscribe on whatever podcast platform you follow. Just click on the subscribe button, rate it five stars, and leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to share the podcast on your favorite social media. Thank you for listening to Smart Creation, the podcast, an invitation to explore the potential of sustainable fashion. 